Hi, everybody. This is a special episode of the podcast where James and I were lucky enough to have a very long conversation with Vibhu, the CEO and founder of Solana Spaces. In this chat, we got to know a little bit about Vibhu's background in creating and running startups. And we also talk about the experiment that was Solana Spaces and how it came to be. And the unfortunate announcement that Solana Spaces is in fact shutting down. I hope that anyone listening to this will get a real appreciation for what Vib and his team have done so far, and really why they're pivoting to focus full-time on Driphouse, their NFT distribution product. Without further ado, here's our chat with Vibu. Do you guys work together or are you just friends? Yes and no. Yeah. <laughs> we're just, fr- we're platonic. We met in Portugal at Breakpoint. Which version, last year or the year before? This last year, one, 20, 2022. And what made you guys fall in love with each other? I mean, I'm easy. If, it was like, if someone's sight. like, hey, let's hang out, I'm like, we're best friends. That's all it takes. So oh, Nick, okay. was like, let's, Nick was like, let's do a podcast. And I was like, I'm in. Yeah, that's pretty much how it happened. It was really just like Twitter trolling, much like you. And uh, although Chase was part of those Twitter trolls, and then I was like, oh, James like wrote the Soul Dev course. Yeah, man, I guess just like, Oof, back, background since you asked is I basically run a small software agency. I know what you do. You won the damn hackathon. You're a celebrity. I did participate with the hackathon stuff. I'm not. So let's see. Italo and I raised seed round and then basically Italo's run with it. And I'm, I took an advisory role with the company and then he's contracting with my agency. So it's like, I'm kind mm-hmm. of an outsourced DevRel lead for Ironforge right now. And then continuing with the previous contracts I already had, picking up new ones. I'm just like, I'm just a gun for hire. I'm very mercenary. What happened? Is it sensitive? Did you talk about it yet on this podcast? Uh, I don't know that we've talked. It's not sensitive at all. Everyone seems to think that it's like they hear that and they hear falling out. But really, it just boils down to like a, almost a definition of roles thing where it's like Italo and I are very interested in doing basically some of the same things in terms of shaping the vision of a company and that sort of thing. And so I didn't want any stepping on toes where it was like, I'm trying to Ah. do your job. He approached me with the idea to begin with. (laughs) I just didn't want to like, I I didn't want it to be a thing. It felt far more clear cut for me to be like, yeah, just contract with me to do stuff that you want me to do. And then I don't, then I don't feel like I'm close to doing the job I want to do, but can't do it kind of thing. Totally makes sense. What's the Ronald Reagan thing? I don't know why I never got this out of my head. I read some book 20 years ago and just kind of stuck there and lives, lives rent free, I suppose. It paid two years up front. Yeah, maybe. That's a Solana joke. Don't worry about it. You're not familiar with the deposit rent situation? Oh, I was, I was situation. No? That's okay. what we, that's what, that's what my joke was. We're making the same joke. Just <laughs> Wait, we made the same joke? Are you for real? We I made just... the same joke. There's no and way. And then you just explained my joke, and I was just like, "All right." He's and now, and now, Vib left. All right, I guess it's just back to James and I. He just got up and walked away. I'm trying to tell a Ronald Reagan story. Come on, let's let me let me get back. Right, to, how dare to I? Ra- see President Reagan. No, uh, right, start he, with a Nixon story. You'll catch my interest. It is. It literally is a Nixon story as well. Pretty much, uh, Reagan was offered the vice presidency with Nixon. He was already like a very up and coming, like famous politician, right? And and uh, he said, no, I'm not going to be your vice president because someone who is the vice president will always be looked at as the vice president and not the president. I will only accept the presidency of the United States of America. 
And so, yeah, I get it. You didn't want to, you can only accept the presidency of the, of, of the United States of America, right? That was basically the For me, it was more like, people wanted me to basically be like a COO type, which is like, that's not really my forte. I think I would have been okay. I would have, I would have been fine with like a CTO type of role. But in this particular situation, it's like Italo is more suited for the technical stuff in Ironforge than I am. So that wouldn't have made a whole lot of sense either. Mm But it's all good. I'm not gonna lie. Like for a couple of weeks, it was like, "What's going on?" Like we can't. Like we. It was maybe a little bit uh, emotionally challenging to like come to that conclusion. But once it clicked in my head that like, oh yeah, we just need a different like working arrangement. Once we figured it out, it was great. And like we've been working together great ever since. I freaking love that guy. It's beautiful. This is your first company, or that was your first company? Unless we're counting like my freelance LLC that I that I run all my business through, but I don't. I don't really count that. <laughs> I think the number one reason startups fail is because of co-founders splitting up. That's like from my YC days back in 2011, I remember Paul Graham would talk about that a lot, that half of the batch was going to fail because the co-founders couldn't figure out how to work together. And uh, there you are. You're you're just a statistic at this point, but it's Doesn't nice that you YC guys are friends. also try to yeah. push people into having a co-founder though? Yeah, yeah like if you're a solo founder going through YC, they're like, mm, I don't know. Well, I mean, it's the same thing, right? Two founders has a much higher success rate than one founder. At the same time, it has the tension. In fact, when I went through YC, I was technical. There were like nine solo technical founders that were accepted and they had us all pair up. So I met someone at the program and then we started a company together. And then we had the same issue that James just described. And he left and became very successful. And I stayed and became a, uh, a failure, which directly led into, you know, another 10 years of back-to-back failures leading to this. How much do you want to talk about those back-to-back failures? This podcast is just <laughs> it, a failure waiting to happen. It, so, you know, yeah. don't get your hopes up. Uh, no, I mean, it's pretty natural. I mean, I think everybody, most people fail, right? And if you try enough times, like you're still going to fail most of yeah. the time. It doesn't like change the odds, maybe as dramatically as you hope. Most people just stop the second time, right? They just don't do it again. Yeah. Well, look, the reason I ask is I am super curious to hear about your background, right? You said you don't want to make this an interview, so I don't have any prepared questions or anything. But I am just like, how the fuck did spaces come to be? I know your background is more in engineering once upon a time, and then you got into more physical products. And I don't know, I'm curious about the jump. So whether that is a recent thing or 10 years ago, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I was a like very technical, very, very young. I was programming since I was like 13, 14 years old, and I was very gifted at it. But what I enjoyed about it was the ideating and being able to bring new things to life. And so I was always creating stuff and for many, many years. Out of college, I thought, you know, I mean, it seemed like maybe I should go and work for somebody else and see what it feels like to be a professional software engineer. And I went to go work at Roblox in 2009. And I was, I don't know, like the 15th employee or 12th employee of Roblox, something like that. And I really uh, hated working for other people, even very young. <laughs> that led to me getting fired. And the reason I got fired was because I don't think I've said this story publicly, but I wrote a backdoor into the profile editors so that I could insert things into my administrator profile page that other people couldn't. And the CTO was very, very upset because 
he's like, yes, okay, I understand that you had to, you know, if user ID equals whatever my user ID was. However, if your profile was ever taken over, someone could potentially write arbitrary script that executes that like is inserted through the front end of roblox.com that can, you know, damage the, uh, the backend systems. And I really didn't think it was a big deal, but looking back on that, like as someone who uh, is engineers, like that's pretty, you, you can't, you can't do stuff like that. And we didn't have GitHub back then, right? It was like Microsoft, um, version control. It was, I don't even know. I can't remember yeah, how it worked. Gross. It was, a yeah, it was, it was C++ um, and everything was written in Visual Studio. And uh, also gross. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I went to do a YC company when I was very young and raised some money, built mobile apps back in the day. We built a very early version of what dialect is actually today to the iPhone, except without crypto stuff. And went really well for a very short amount of time. And then we got stumped by Snapchat and Instagram and all this, all these the apps that we use today. So got very lucky as our company got acquired by Nest and then Nest was acquired by Google. That's how I got into physical products. But even then I was writing code. I just was a super productive engineer, but ha- definitely had a streak in me that's just could, yeah, had to be doing my own thing. And from there uh, I left, I took a bunch of people with me to build this like very large retailer that scaled all over the world. But the thing that made the retailer unique was the software. Like, yes, the physical stuff was like what everyone saw, but we had basically turned the store into like a object oriented model. So everything in the store had a metaphysical representation in code that could be altered to some extent. So that was like everything from pricing displays to the products themselves, to where the stores, where the products were oriented in the stores. And we built these like crazy computer vision systems. Some of our stores had upwards of uh, like 20 cameras that were tracking exactly how everything was moving, how customers interacted. And it was a very, very amazing company. We grew to 300 people and then COVID came and destroyed us. But sometime in between, after COVID started, Solana became very, very large. Everyone realized that maybe something was happening in crypto. And I thought it was pretty dumb and still do to some extent, but NFTs, I really understood. I really thought NFTs were very interesting. And believe it or not, I don't think this version of the story is, I usually share for various reasons, but this wasn't my idea. In fact, it was Raj's idea. Founder of Solana knew Beta very well. And he had pitched me a couple of times when Solana was growing very large on doing something with Solana and stores at the end of the life of Beta when we were Basically, a fundraise fell through. He reached out again at the right time, and we're like, okay, let's do this as an experiment. This was funded at the very top of the market, I think, like November, like one breakpoint was happening, the original one. And so I assembled my team, my best people from my old company. We had a funding from the foundation. And um, yeah, kind of a year to try to figure things out. And... We started from scratch. The idea was literally Slada and retail stores. <laughs> and like, what, what would you do with those two things? What could together? go wrong? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And of course the mission being like, is anything that's like part of the foundation is, or like stemming from the foundation is, has a goal to operate as 
a public good of some sort. So we had the mandate to grow the ecosystem and take care of the community. And shit, it went really well, honestly. I honestly thought it was, a, even up until we opened, I was pretty convinced it was a, a bad idea. Um, but the passion from the Solana community is like, it doesn't exist in any other field of any sort and maybe only matched by people who play video games, I think is like the closest analog for the way people feel. It was very interesting to be received that way because I had, I built a very large business and yet I don't think we had anywhere near the, the passion for, for it, even though we were, you know, it's like a hundred times the scale and I recalled back to my YC days of like find a hundred users that love something that you're doing versus a thousand that like it. And I realized like Solana actually just has that by default. Like people fall in love with stuff and maybe it's a small community, but, but you know, what can you do from there? And so, yeah, we just kind of followed that, that spirit from early last year when we launched um, to today. Uh, now, unfortunately, uh, as people are going to find out pretty soon, the experiment is coming to an end. And as amazing as the stores were and, and as much uh, traction as we had, a lot of things changed in the last year since we first had this idea. First of all, Solana is not $270. True that. Uh, <laughs> and we had only ever been kind of funded to get through the first year. Second of all, like, you know, there's a lot of financial pain in our ecosystem. Like the most common thing that has happened to us is, is that lots of projects that want to work with us and like get our exposure on Twitter and on the stores, but nobody has the funds to pay for it yeah. and nobody wants to pay for it. If enough companies sort of are like, yeah, this is really cool. I would love to do something and I can't find the, the dollars. It's very tough to make the business work. So we kind of were in a situation where we're entirely relying on the foundation to support us and Phantom as well. And yeah, I mean, I think there was a chance, there was definitely an opportunity for us to continue in some form. But the thing is that in the last three months, we found something with Drip that we didn't have with Spaces, which was like onboarding happening at a global level for a much, much less cost than running the source. I think we, we just took everything, all of the things that we had in front of us. And as difficult as it was, as it is to like say goodbye to them, we strongly feel that drip is going to become a very very large like maybe the first mass product in web3 or at least i think we can get to where Stepin was when you have that kind of opportunity sitting in front of you like you can't you can't go back to the store you you know like yeah. it just doesn't have the same level of impact we've been adding a thousand plus users every single day like we're at Holy we have a hundred thousand plus wallets signed up Right. There's very few projects that get a hundred thousand users in that time frame. I think our team kind of knows what we have and, and we have a very, very ambitious plan to build like a, hopefully a very large scale web three social product out of this. That's what we're excited to focus that's, on. And that's what's going to happen going forward. Yeah. That's a, that's a crazy story. I want to circle back to two things you said. One thing you just said was, you know, the sheer scale that you got so quickly. If I'm remembering correctly, Drip is one drop a week, and there's like 17-ish drops right now. So over the past 17-ish weeks, you've gotten 100,000 wallets have signed up for Drip. That's pretty crazy, especially in like the market that we're in. Like, that's crazy impressive. And we've eliminated over 60,000 fraudulent accounts as well. Like, 
we Ooh. we spend every day figuring out how to fight bots and fraud. It's a really big and interesting. I want to dig into that. How, I want to dig yeah. into that too. What? Tell us more. How are you accomplishing that? Like, are you using some sort of? I assume with software, you know, your software background, a lot of a lot of people in tech doing stuff on the on the back end. But like, how are you? detecting or, yeah. or guesstimating that certain wallets are spam wallets well we're using a lot of techniques i don't want to share all of them because we're constantly sure. fighting yeah, a yeah, battle yeah, against people and they'll they will listen to this and try to game it but yeah we you know we have <laughs> uh, both web 2 and web 3 techniques at work we're doing deep wallet introspection we're trying to figure out if someone gets a drop and does something with it then the game is up already this is the beautiful thing about web 3 is Everything is transparent. It's on chain. You can't really. You can try to fool us, but but um, but it's hard, honestly, and it requires eventually a lot of the truth will out. Yeah, and in some ways, like we're not trying to solve. Like if someone wants to like circumvent the system with some like crazy engineering setup, okay, fine. But I also know that the cost of doing that no longer outweighs the benefit, so it won't run yeah. forever. The code system really helped. We moved to code because now we can track trees of how of how people. Uh, how the network grows. If someone is using a code on their own wallet, for example, and just a new wallet they created, it's very easy to see that. There are tons and tons of tools to use here behind the scenes and consulted with Stepin because they had a similar kind of issue back when they were growing very fast. There's tons of stuff going on. I mean, there's, yeah, Web3 stuff, Web2 stuff, IP tracking, geo tracking, code tracking. Behind the scenes, we have a reputation score for every single wallet um, and sign up in our system. And we're going to share that soon too. I think we're going to expose exactly what we think of you. Um, this is part of, this was going to be my next question is, is about the, in some way, sharing that with the, the broader ecosystem, whether it's on chain or not. You're saying like, you know, you have a list of high likelihood of spam wallets. Like, you know, that's, that's good data that can be published to not necessarily, well, maybe exchanges, but definitely like block explorers. They can like flag them and be like, Hey, F this wallet. Is there a point yeah. at which you're like shutting somebody's wallet off and not oh, yeah. them NFTs anymore? We shut off thousands of wallets every day. How do you decide the cutoff for it's like, this might be spam versus like, this is, we're done with this wallet. It depends on exactly the form of fraud that, that they've engaged with. For example, if you're selling in light codes or perma banning you and everything in part as part of your tree, if you are using like a couple of accounts on your own out of the same IP, same geography, like we're typically totally okay with that. It's only when it becomes a problem when you're showing up in the top one or two percent of spammers that we are um, removing you. But the thing is, we don't tell people that we've removed them. So if you are actively committing fraud in our system, it looks like everything is fine from a user interface perspective. This is how we design the website in a way. For example, you'll see it will tell you that you're receiving drops. And you'll have a gallery and it's going to show you that we've sent you stuff, but the spammer will check their wallet and see that we actually have not. And they'll try to reach out to us Clever. and oftentimes like, like we'll, um, we'll let them know what's happened and how they can fix it. Like most of the time, like the people who are doing this are like, they don't reach out. They just try to find some other yeah. way. They know what they're doing. Yeah. They're just trying to get um, their free money and, and suck it out of the ecosystem. Yeah, even with Solana at the current price, like if you can figure out a way to game the system for 100 NFTs, you're, you're getting, you know, I mean, it's not a lot of money, but you're getting some money out of the system. It's some amount, yeah. But again, if you burn your NFTs from us, we can see that. And we, it's not, it really is like the most basic thing, like, you know, and, and 
So I think there's a chance that like in a year from now, someone's like, okay, I got a wallet. It's collected, you know, 50 NFTs and I'm going to burn them all at once. I don't care if you ban me. That's totally fine. It could happen, but, but, um, Why are people burning we're also for the, for, for the rent, get, man. Yes, exactly. Oh, for the deposits. yeah. Okay. That's fair. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. We're, we're, cha- we're changing to deposit. I, for, yeah. I forgot that that was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it could dude, be happening, well, that's, but that's, honestly, it's not, not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. If there's a financial system that people can potentially make money off of, like there's always bad actors in everywhere, you know, non-crypto people are always like, rah, crypto's bad. Rah. But like any financial instrument, like people are going to try to abuse the system. There's bad apples everywhere. But something that would be cool is like you could, in theory, like completely me spitballing if like the system was designed such that if you were to airdrop something to someone you know because you're you as drip you guys are paying the rent for that you're paying the fees whether or not you're using compressed nfts or not like you're there's still some cost to it to you as the dropper but if it was set up to the point where you could collect the burned like if someone wanted to burn it fine but then that rent goes back to you as the dropper like that'd be pretty legit. It would help minimize a lot of things like that. I think, but at least is that, that portion of like the the scam. I don't know. Any, that'd be anything cool is possible. Anything I mean, twenty two. Whether whether that legit. mechanism's been built out today or not yeah. is a different story. I I don't yeah, think it's I, possible today. But but that's legit, kind of, honestly, that's actually interesting. Yeah. It's like I, I have Super to put some thought into whether or not that could be how you could architect something like that. Yeah. That'd be. That'd be I'm cool. full of big brain ideas like that. So. Two other questions. I am one of the fortunate individuals that, like, I jumped on this on the drip train, like, day one, I think, that you posted. Oh, yeah. So I've I've collected every single airdrop. And I'm curious, how many people were on the the first airdrop? And, like, how, because you said it's, like, 100,000 people over about, you know, three months or so, three and a half months. How many people were there at the first drop? And uh, Yeah. Yeah, so the first one we did, you had to register with your Bonfita soul. And people dropped that in the replies and then we scraped it and then we had an activity check. So if you had activity over the previous seven day period, then on your wallet or on, on Twitter, on your wallet, on your wallet. Okay. Um, and I, I believe that around 3000 people signed up for the first one and about half of them filled the activity check. So I think the supply is like between 1500 and 1800. Um, that's cool. Of the main drop. And then there's, we have a ultrasound, which was a rare addition. We sent out to like 50 or a hundred of the wallets on the list. And those are quite expensive, but we haven't made it easy for people to trade these. Like it's not a verified collection or anything like that, but there is some activity for sure. I mean, I don't, I don't want to like, I don't want to create speculation. I think these pieces are mostly just art, Uh, but we want to make it fun to collect all of the art. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the, one of the goals we have. Speak, speaking of that, one of the things that I wanted to ask was like, what is the end game of Drip House? Or is there one right now? Or is it just kind of leaning into the excitement and seeing where things, what things develop into? It's a little bit of both, right? I mean, we have lots of big ideas, but we're never going to force our way there. I think we're going to continue to experiment with things and, and kind of see where that goes. And it's really easy to get feedback on Web3 because everyone's so passionate that like you try something Especially out, like, you'll Solana. know right away, you know, if it's good or bad. Yeah. 
Yep. And that's hard to do with Web2. I mean, even if you have a big user base, you only hear the complaints. You never hear the good things. Web3 users are passionate in a positive way too, which is like a very, very unique um, thing because the, it's their bags, right? So they, they want to talk, you know, speak bullishly yeah, they have a about financial their bags. interest in it to some yeah. amount, yeah. Yeah, I think on like the, the vision side, like, you know, the big ideas we have are, you know, one, can you walk yourself into a wallet type product that's social by default and NFT focused instead of token focused? I think it drives me nuts. And I told Phantom and, and Backpack this, that our wallets start with tokens when nobody has them. And yet the biggest thing in so crypto true. is NFTs. So I think that's, that's something that we're thinking about. I think two, when compressed NFTs ship very, very soon. Uh, now I don't care about spam that much. In fact, we want to proliferate NFTs. Like we're going to do, we're going to, I think probably when that ships, we may end up doing like a million NFTs in our first week just to show the, just like to just break the model, you know, just and show off. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Got to show off the Solana tech. You better not crash mainnet. <laughs> we'll try. <laughs> I would love to. That would, that would be a heroic accomplishment. Yeah. At this point. Well, on but... the bright side, if you do crash mainnet, then you, the next drip has to be like a meme on crashing mainnet. So like, yeah, you know, it, you have to make it worth it. You know, <laughs> the idea that there's like an Instagram type product hiding in, in NFTs has been talked about a lot. But to me, the, the angle there is most of Web2 products are kind of are very, um, it's all user generated content and the algorithms are built around kind of uh, sensing what, what is interesting about a piece of content for a single person. It's very non-participatory at the end of the day. Like every large network coagulates into basically being influencer media because the long tail gets no views and there's no distribution there. And so it all becomes professional. It's happened in every, every industry. I think with a web three Instagram, you can reverse the dynamics a little bit where people are creators are sending you things and you're collecting them and your view of, of, of the world is through the things that that you own and that you like and less about sort of like trying to figure out what other people like in, in a way. I think it's a, it's a very small distinction, but I, I think it's like what resonates about NFTs to people. And even with drip, I mean, this is the thing, like I thought I wasn't sure if people, if like getting an NFT that lots of other people got would be interesting because it's kind of a counter cyclical idea in a lot of ways. Like most NFTs are designed to be exactly the opposite, right? The scarcer it is, the more interesting yeah. it is. But of course, if the conundrum is, uh, take DAA, for example, if all 10,000 or 5,000 apes were acquired by one person, they actually no longer have any value. So there's a balance of kind of scarcity and community that go together. Um, but Drip, for me, proved totally that scarcity is a false thing because all, all of our computing and our energy is all scarce anyway by default. And... It's more about, I think the feeling of ownership that Web3 gives you is like just irreplaceable against every other Web2 service. You can try, but it's hard to reproduce. So you'll be able to subscribe to hundreds of different drips, including maybe podcasts or other types of media. And these things will all deliver, be delivered to you. And um, your feed will be just the things that you, that you own and collect and love instead of what the algorithm is trying to show you for, for ad purposes. 
and then we're going to insert ads into it. So, uh, <laughs> because I, I think once you've figured out how to deliver things to people at scale, well, shit, like I'm going to send you a Coke NFT. I'm going to send you a, an Apple, yeah. you a know, iPhone NFT burger. ad. A McDonald's. You, you, you got to exactly. make money somehow if you want to keep going, right? Um, uh, yeah, for sure. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. I think you just got me excited about NFTs again. I've been pretty like meh on NFTs for for the last year and a half or so, and hearing you talk about it was like, oh shit, maybe maybe someone's gonna figure out NFTs in a way that isn't just all about speculation, right? And is more about enjoyment and and like finding things you love, which is I think super cool. And the best thing about Solana, without a doubt, other than community stuff I was talking about is the art. This, the artist is so, is just, I'm not like some, I'm not like an art appreciator in my real life. Like I don't, it's not, I didn't really care for it, but the quality of the things that people are creating in Solana is absolutely staggering. Like 3d, 2d drawings, like, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Audio visual. And there's like thousands of these people who are making a living doing this stuff. I mean, in web two, we had like deviant art and we had these like marketplaces where people were, but they all basically become just, um, Behance type things where it's like trying to get someone hired to do design a project. And this is maybe the only, I think NFTs are like the only medium where artists are, are making like small artists are making money. Yeah. There's almost like this purism about it where, it, uh, you know, the, the creator economy, quote unquote, you know, however you as an individual want to define that it's like it's becoming more and more prevalent and especially in web three in crypto and, and, and whatever. So you said you're, you know, you're not an art collector per se. Uh, maybe you are now that you've started drip and everything, but like it, so I have the drip homepage up. I actually just got a brand new laptop that I'm on and I haven't set up my wallet yet. So I couldn't even connect my wallet to look at all of mine that I have, but I'm like looking at the homepage and like every single piece of artwork as part of the collection is it's from a different artist, which is fucking awesome. Every single one is so different. It's in the individual artist style. And it's so cool that like, I love getting my, my drip drop TM. I love getting it just just to see the artwork. Like I'm not an art aficionado or anything, but like, you know, I appreciate looking at nice things, but it's so cool. Like getting all of these different types of artwork. There's even a handful that are animated. I think there's like what, one between one and three they're animated which i think is fun what do you look for as far as like doing these uh, this like collaboration between the artists and like what style of artwork that you're trying to trying to get within the drip drops tm um <laughs> we actually you, did consider market. the we did consider the charm drip drops before we simplified it curation is the most important thing for the list but it's curated Partly we're iterating and trying to see what things resonate. And I can say like, without a doubt that the PFPs are by far the most resonant. We just dropped a like high-minded set of photography from an amazing photographer who does like Nat Geo work and stuff like that. Uh, like you drop a single like, you know, Cats on Crack PFP and that thing's gonna yeah. be like 10 times bigger. But, and so I, we're, we're guided a little bit by that, but I personally feel it's important that we are showing a very wide slice of what people are creating, bringing something new and surprising. That's what makes it feel like next week, for example, we're doing something with Toonies, which is a 
kind of like bespoke small supply NFT collection, but the two artists behind the Time Thief and Boy With No Legs are like amazing animators and 3D artists. And this is a, this will be our first piece highlighting GLB support in, in modern wallets. So they're, they're full 3D object. It's a full 3D object that we're dropping. Uh, it's very, is very that, cool. Is that what GLB is? It's a, it's a 3D, 3D model. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like if you have a saga pass, right, you know, you can like spin it with your finger. Yeah. Um, what? <laughs> yeah. I did not know this. <laughs> yes. Nick just learned something new. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I had no mind. idea. So yeah, we're going to teach. On a, a side note, speaking of saga passes, the, the second saga mint is going on literally right now. The Solana mobile team just uh, announced it in the discord like an hour ago. FYI. Good Sorry note. for interrupting you. Store.solanamobile.com. <laughs> Um, it's actually sagapass.solanamobile.com. Is it really? <laughs> yeah, that was that was the link they put in the Discord. Okay. Um, <laughs> sweet. This segment brought to you by Saga. The world's Half of our episodes at this more every, than most every, of our episodes we just talk about episode the saga of ours, so far. We just talk about Saga. <laughs> um, little I'm, known I'm, secret. I'm excited that we've been yeah. talking about something new. We actually have been working with the Saga team for for the last month and a half. So we designed the Saga Pass Rewards program which are Saga Pass cards. Oh, it's actually just Drip, rebranded That's awesome. with playing cards. I've been helping them with some nice. Twitter content as well. So yeah, the Saga Pass's re- remint is a, was a, a very big need because a lot of people missed the window for that. Um, yeah, so yeah, trying to, trying to bring something new, trying to showcase the features of wallets. want to surprise people. And honestly, uh, I hang out enough now around... Yeah, there you go. It's showing the spinning. <laughs> it's fun. I am um, actively spinning my Saga Pass. <laughs> we hang out a lot around the one-on-one art scene and, and PFP scene. I mean, I feel like I have a very good sense for what things are upcoming and what might be interesting. And it's tough, you know, because we have so many requests to, to drop art. Um, it's such a huge marketing event yeah, for, for artists. But I'm not afraid to tell most artists that you're just you're not big enough yet. That's just how it is. I can't, we'll not get any traction if we drop this, right? So being a little bit brutal about it and knowing what's good quality, having good tastes. You watched the Rick Rubin interview. Having good tastes is, is everything. So I think we have that. I definitely think you guys have good taste. So you said a lot of people resonate with the PFPs, which, which, you know, I get. It's kind of like the classic crowd of crypto and NFTs. Like people want PFPs because it's easy to show off. And I think over the next year, maybe two years, and especially with like the advent of form function in a art driven marketplace that's not PFPs like Magic Eden as like most of. I think Solana's gonna go through a lot of the same things that Ethereum went through where initially 100%. it was PFP everything, but now you have things like art blocks where it's not PFP, it's digital art. It's actually like digital art. And like the things that people are publishing as digital art that's just on chain, like it's awesome. And I'll tell you as a data point, like my favorite drip drop TM is definitely not a PFP. It's the Technicolor Reef. Like this one's hands down my favorite. It's just nice. so bright and vibrant. Like I love it. It's cool. Yep. And that's AI generated, which is pretty cool. Well, that's even cooler. Yeah. yeah. I, lo- I love the variety in, in yes. like it just, it helps people figure out what they like. Yeah. But, you know, especially, especially for if people you're who new are to the new space. to NFTs. Jake's it's like, what right am here. I interested in? What is my aesthetic? What am I, what am I into? And so like you, not only do you guys have a good sense of, of style, you also have that sense of style that's broad enough to encompass 
like a lot of different styles, a lot of variety, which I think is, I think is dope. And I personally am super excited to see the, I, I can't imagine you're not going to bring some physical products into this down the road at some point, because like given the experience with retail and spaces and that sort of stuff, and I'm excited to see when that launches too. It's true. It is true. Yeah. We, we have some thoughts around that too. It's such a simple starting point that the canvas is very, very large. And I think the true innovation is free, actually free. It just changes the tree of ideas a lot. I mean, the second you make something paid, it's, it becomes a game for the, I mean, you talk to any NFT founder and they're living in hell that they created themselves yeah. for like, a, you know, a couple thousand soul which is a people, all people want to talk about and care about at the end of the day. I mean, they might post a thread appreciating the art or this or that, but they're all just thinking in the back of their head, is this thing going to be worth more than what I paid for it? And that, that mindset is just like super destructive. And it's so hard to behave in, in a way as a founder. If you're, if you're an artist, like it's not natural for you to like be like Frank D. Gods and talking about what you're building all the time. Like a lot of artists are the opposite of that. Like they want to be in the room creating art that speaks to them. And they get into this position where we're like 90% of their job is being on Twitter, going on Twitter spaces, talking bullishly about yeah. their end projects. We've had an opportunity for sure. We could have raised a lot of money to, you know, by selling some NFT collection, but, but, um, but I have the, you know, the benefit of being a little bit older than most people here and being able to see that you're signing yourself up for five or 10 years of being in prison by your holders. I just wish people would break free from that mindset, especially on Solana. I think if you're going to do that, go on Ethereum, at least where it's like fucking expensive to trade. So people don't do it as often. Like Solana, like you can drop 10,000 NFTs even without compression for like a thousand dollars. Like just do it for free and, and figure out how to build value from there for people. I just think that's such a, I just don't know why more people are not doing it. It's, it's, it's absolutely insane to me. I love that. That's a good point. I think you have some foresight from experience that a lot of NFT project founders maybe don't have. And that's not trying to throw shade at, you know, project founders. There's a lot of young people in crypto. Yes. And so it's it, for a lot of people, it's their first rodeo. And, and when you're anonymous like, too, you feel like you have superpowers. Yeah. And, but it won't last forever. Yeah. The true but this is not This is not your first rodeo. I know you characterized it at the beginning as like a string of failures but when i heard your story it did not sound like a string of failures it, it sounded like building success on top of success to me right so uh like i'm, I'm just super excited to see what the next thing is <laughs> i think fair. when you set That's a fair. very high bar then a lot of things are going to be that are below the bar are going to be failures but i would never tell my children that but everyone feels that way sometimes you, right it sounds like you're very ambitious and i don't mean that in just like a I want to have conventional success, but it's like you're ambitious in that you have a bar you've set for what you want a thing to be. And if it doesn't reach that, it feels like a failure to you. But as someone outside of that, looking at the story you just told, all of that sounds fucking awesome. And I'm excited to see how the next thing, you know, turns out. I'm also excited to have gotten better context because when you mentioned spaces maybe closing, I was like, oh no, that sucks. But it sounds a lot more like a pivot to me than yeah. an ending. It's a pivot. It sounds, like, a, very it hard sounds pivot like an awesome to, pivot. To swallow, right? Because the first thing that we did is so, is so like out there and grand. It's going to be hard for people. 
to understand, I think, a little bit. Well, maybe if they listen to this episode, then they can yeah. understand, yeah, like, hopefully. your mindset about it. And, like, that's, like, the important thing is, is like, I mean, it's the internet. So people are going to take their quick shot of, like, oh, bro, I'm butthurt about this thing. But, like, you know, you have you have a legitimate and a well-thought-out reason for everything, like, both collectively with Drip and with Spaces. Like, fuck them. Yeah, I kind of came to that realization, like, over some time this one of the hardest things for people to do, including for myself, is to do the thing that you really want to do. Yeah. You think about all the other things that are around you, your family, your colleagues, this or that, right? And and um, it sits in in front of the path that 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 is you know somewhere deep inside you'd really like to pursue. And I think space has kind of became that way for me, to be honest. I've been building stores for almost ten years. I didn't. And that wasn't what I wanted to do. Like, uh, it's not how I came into the world. I, I don't, I'm not like a store guy. I, they're, they're, they're fun to build, but in design, but I definitely was for me personally. And I know some people on my team were just like, Hey, we have this thing that's like just growing like a weed and it's, and, and like the stories we're hearing about it are like as good or better than what we're doing in the stores. And the store has this like enormous kind of cost profile. Unfortunately, like the only way to get through that barrier is just to wake up one day and say, fuck it. And we had that moment a couple weeks ago. And then, of course, the demons come and try to <laughs> push you back in the other direction. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're pretty steadfast in what's happening next now at this point. Dude, that's awesome. I appreciate you being willing to share. Sound like a broken record. I've said it a few times, but I'm excited. Sounds super cool. Also, wise words. It's easy to get trapped in what you've already built instead of being able to recognize that there's another path and there's something else out there that might be more exciting, might be even bigger. I think you and your team are to be commended making the hard pivot and making the hard choices. Nobody has the context that you have, right? So anyone who's like complains, they don't have the vision that you have. They're not, it's like you're standing on a peak overlooking what you've built and what you can build. Whereas everyone else is sort of at the bottom looking up. So you see things on the other side that they can't see. Appreciate you. We're all at the bottom still, but yeah, I mean, there are definitely levels there. I appreciate the words. 